0: It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast, presented by CarParts.com. Here's Kevin Bird, I am Willie B, and today we're talking about driving. And not just driving, but I'm I mean driving, right? I mean like driving. Like driving.
1: Yeah, like driving damn fast, like faster than
0: Lightning McQueen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, alright, I gotta ask Kevin, fastest mile per hour you've ever gone? Um uh... 175 180 okay um how about the the fastest you've ever been say on a road course or a race or some timed event where you were in a competition style format probably 145 150 top speed on
1: straights okay you know going into a hard corner which, yeah yeah you know, the tire wall's coming up
0: on you pretty <laughs> oh quick. yeah man
1: yeah well i know you've run you know standing mile i know you did that one race in uh Colorado, it's just wide open, four lanes or whatever.
0: Yeah. What's your top speed? Set a speed record at that one. Top speed, you know, in my my bet is two twelve. Damn. That that particular race was uh was one hundred ninety point like seven 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 or something. It was right under one ninety one. So I always tell people one ninety one uh, for that one, but it technically is a little bit under. So yeah, you know, it's funny because when you talk about driving or a road course or a time attack or even quarter mile, right? You you talk about letting the machine just be the beast that it can be, but also letting you just kind of come on hinge and pushing your limits. Cause the only thing stopping you is your limitations in the car. What your
1: no, no, no. The only thing that's stopping you is that tire wall, <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you get a little out of hand.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Knowing <laughs> when, to, when to control your car, when to not, and how to control your car, uh, regardless of what you're kind of pushing through the edge. But the great thing about driving is it allows you in any setup, you know, I've had just as much fun, you know, racing slow cars fast as I've done, you know, racing fast cars, you know, even slow. It, it's really fun regardless of you know, how fast you're going just to push whatever it is you're in. And the guy we have on today can do that in every freaking format on earth.
1: Oh, I'm so stoked, man. This, this guy can race anything. He can whip it around the track like nothing. And, and he's got experience in so many different classes of racing, and he's so damn good in all of them. So we're going to be able to pick his brain a little bit about what's going on on these different setups, these different tracks, different driving styles, different vehicles. Uh, and you know, maybe we get inspired to like shift a little bit, like, Ooh, maybe I want to try this style of racing or that style of racing, or just kind of get the inside scoop from the driver's position, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, you know, growing up the way he did and the fact that, you know, you kind of grew up in a backyard that was an oval round track or had a crazy infield and a skid pad and time attack course. I imagine just seat time is one of the greatest, you know, sort of uh means to his accomplishments the greatest sort of you know action because every plan you know has an action the difference between a dream and reality is is the plan and he has really practiced and and he started just fighting with the 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 low dogs down here in normal races and has worked his way to, to where the guys raced on every continent on earth man i feel like he could race anything between semis and rvs to motorcycles cars he could drift Formula One, F1. You know, this is a guy you're going to see at NASCAR uh, within the next couple of years. And, and I, I want to make sure that he has a, a Willie B logo on his car. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, he's got it all because he's got the DNA, man. Third generation champion. I mean, I, I've met his dad. You're good friends with him. Uh, when you said Tommy was coming on, I got pretty excited because uh, I haven't got to meet him yet, but I, you know, I know all the aura that comes around him and I know the, the family that he comes from. And you talk about growing up on a racetrack. Uh, you know, I had a big wheel and a slightly sloped driveway. I mean, that's <laughs> that was what I had.
0: You know, so I don't, hey, I don't even compare. Hey, that was a racetrack, though. You know, that we all had that's a racetracks. Right. Just few of them was a was a big mile oval, and you know, an infield, and you know, all the other fun stuff that Tommy uh, Tommy had. But I'm telling you, man, it, it still takes an immense amount of bravery and skill. You know. A lot of people think uh, brave, brave people are without fear, but no, it's just the, it's how you manage that fear and, and still push forward. And Tommy is one of those guys, regardless of what he's, he's in, it doesn't matter if it's Pike's Peak Hill Climb, which is an ungodly race. You guys go Google Pike's Peak Hill Climb. You won't believe these cars have been racing up there for, I don't know, since cars were invented. It's literally like miles and miles of you know asphalt now but it used to be dirt and they used to hang it out and there's no guardrails. There's a cliff on one side, you know, sheer rock face on the other and it ain't nothing but man in the driver's seat screaming like all the way up, you know. It's, it, it is one of those throttling type moments in your life where you probably got 15, 20 minutes, however long the first early cars were taking to get up in, or, you know, two minutes, however long Tommy takes to get up it. nowadays. It, it's amazing. It's races like that that really define you, and I think we'll take a break now. When we come back, we'll have Tommy Boyle on, and just wait till you hear some of the accolades, some of the accomplishments, and, you know, I've been riding with the guy before. I'll tell you, he's a throttle jockey. It's awesome to have him on. So, I can't
1: wait. I got my crown and my pencil. I'm ready to take some notes, man, because I can drive fast, but I know there's a lot of people that can drive faster. Tommy is one of them. So, let's take a quick break <laughs> back, when man. we come back with the Two Guys Garage podcast uh, with Tommy Boylow. It's
0: the Two Guys Garage podcast, presented by CarParts.com. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Tommy Boylo joins us on the podcast today. This guy can drive the wheels off anything. I'm telling you, don't show up to a race with your girl all tight on your hip and uh, and be in the, in the pits against Tommy. You're going to leave there being single, and Tommy's going to have your girl in the back of his truck. <laughs> uh, so what's up, Tommy?
2: Thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, what's up, guys? Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm super stoked to be talking with you guys. And... Uh... Yeah, I'm sure you're gonna keep pumping my tires like that, Willie. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, dude, you've raced so many things. Kind of give us a quick rundown of of different things that you've raced, events you've been a part of, um, and and where people uh, are gonna find you next.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I've I've done everything pretty much under the sun that you can think of. Uh, Like most professional drivers, I got my start in go karts. So I was fortunate enough to have a family that was big into racing. So. They threw me in a go kart at so seven years old. And uh, right from the young age, I had a knack for it. So I ended up winning a couple state championships and doing really well in the early stages of karting. And by the time I was 14, I was issued my full competition license for sports cars. So racing spec Miatas at 14 years old against full blown dudes who are 30, 40 years old. And uh, did that for a couple of years. And then at 16, got my professional license, was running in the SECA World Challenge Championship at the time and since then man i've i've raced everything i've tested in indy cars nascars v8 supercars rallycross cars i raced the american rallycross championship uh, i've raced semi-trucks for a couple of years both road courses
0: and a oval wow oh, you're killing me man you're killing me dude this guy tested in an indie indy car an f1 car at 16 bro what a laundry list of awesome yeah, yeah
2: and, and i'm sure i'm forgetting a bunch of stuff man i mean it's uh over the years it all kind of starts i mean you doesn't necessarily get numb or you don't get used to it but um there's just so many different cool things and it's like one of those questions people always ask like what's the coolest thing you've ever driven and it's just so hard to pick i mean everything's so different every driving style is such a different mentality but um i just love it all man i'll i'll race anything i'll race the school bus against willie if you know. <laughs> uh,
1: so if we go back to days of thunder i don't know if you ever saw that movie because you're probably young enough that uh, uh, might have might have passed you, but Tom Cruise just hops in a NASCAR for the first time and he's setting records. Like, when you're going from one style of vehicle and track to another, like, how long does it take to kind of dial in? You know, to really start getting, maybe not the breaking record thing, but kind of really using up the car, using up the track. Does it take you know, a couple um, laps, couple days, couple weeks, couple months.
2: I mean, certainly not a couple of weeks or months. If that was the case, I probably wouldn't be getting paid to do this.
1: Right. So um,
2: I'd say it's, it's definitely usually a couple laps. I mean, every car is extremely different. I mean, even if you're hopping between like a NASCAR truck and one of the cup cars, it's a, it's a different driving style, even if you're on the exact same track. So um, going back and forth between different vehicles is, it could definitely be a challenge, but I really think that's one of the big assets that I have or one of the big tools that I've had growing up is that I've got so much experience driving so many different things where um it kind of forced me to be a jack of all trades if you will. So um it definitely uh it, it comes easier and easier the more you do it, but I remember a weekend of my early professional career I was racing a little formula car as well as a big heavy sports car in the same weekend um and bouncing back and forth between those and trying to stay competitive in the top 3 was definitely um a challenge and that kind of opened my eyes to um, especially for like a full season, really dedicating myself to one type of driving and mastering that car and that vehicle.
1: Yeah, because, you know, you get certain drivers that, uh, you know, they're really good at IndyCar. They try to switch to NASCAR or vice versa or Formula One, and they just they can't be competitive in in another arena, you know. But, you know, from where they were, that they were top of their game. So to be able to just jump into different vehicles like that, it's got to be it's impressive.
2: No, and I appreciate that. It's definitely, um, it's definitely something that I've been uh, gifted with, I guess you could say. I've loved doing what I've been doing for my entire career. And um, just really having that opportunity to bounce back and forth between stuff and drive so many different cars. um, It's just, it's just so
0: cool. I I want to pick your brain about how normal people, like you said, you can get in just about anything and feel it out in a lap or two. So what are the things when you're feeling out a car, trying to understand it? Um, sort of do you walk through? How do you, how do you sort of understand a car quicker for people out there that don't get the seat time you do?
2: Um, So really it's, I mean, getting to the limit of a car is really what you're ultimately looking for, right? So getting right to the limit of adhesion, whether it be under acceleration, cornering, or even braking. Um, So it's a matter of just really having the confidence in your own ability to take that car and throw it into the corner maybe then you're probably comfortable with and knowing that if it does cross that limit that you have the skill set to correct that mistake whatever it may be Um, so kind of my process no matter what type of car it is the first thing that I try to find the limit on is how much grip does this thing have under acceleration because that's that's one of the big ones where it can vastly just be incredibly different whether it be like when I was racing those semi trucks, if you just matted the gas and tried to create wheel spin, it would do it instantly because it's making like seven thousand pound feet of torque or something. Um, so that was definitely. Wait, did you say?
0: Did you idea. say when you when you mat the gas pedal on a semi, it would roast the tires instantly? Did I hear that correctly?
2: Oh, absolutely, <laughs> man! I mean, these these were full blown racing semi trucks, so there's obviously that's awesome big trailer that's behind awesome. you, not the full eighteen wheeler. But um, yeah, the, the the truck I was racing, I think it was something like. 16 or 1700 horsepower, but it was making close to 5,000 pound feet of torque. So you could be in top gear, which I think was like eighth or 10th gear or something. I don't remember off the top of my head. And you can mat it and just immediately create wheel spin. So um, the throttle management on those things was incredibly difficult because we're not running on a racing slick either. They don't really make a racing slick for a semi truck. So we're running on regular DOT tires that are for on the road trucking and we just shave them down to give them a little bit more grip so they're not creating all that. Uh, heat and friction and stuff. So it was it was ridiculous trying to manage that. And then speaking in that same realm for the trucks, trying to figure out the braking capabilities of those things. Now, they were kind of an anomaly because they're water-cooled brakes because they get so ridiculously hot when they're doing the over-road trucking stuff. Um, but even when we were racing them I and we were running on like half-mile paved ovals doing 120, 130 miles an hour in a 13,000-pound truck, um, it built up a lot of heat into the brake system. So Finding the capabilities on the brakes and the acceleration for the trucks, especially, was really difficult. Um, but more often than not, if you're in like a sports car or a formula car, it's really just trying to figure out um, the limit of adhesion going through the corners. So, where that thing is going to step out and how snappy it is, how much counter steering you need to give it, things like that to, uh, to really just get comfortable when that car does step out, because it's kind of inevitable when you're on the edge, uh, what it's going to feel like and what your corrections are going to have to be.
0: See, and I just want to point out, uh, well, Kevin, I just want to point out, he said something very important. I want to just rehash. Uh, it's knowing you have the ability to correct it. And the problem with most people is they get halfway through the turn and they run out of talent. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I've been there. You run out of real estate and talent. It happens. Uh, I, I know. Uh, but, you know, if you're if you're Tommy, you know, Boyleau, then no, you just go ahead and whip it to the end, man, and see what it can do. <laughs> You just
1: fix it. You just correct it, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're aiming the wrong way, going to the wall, going, uh-oh. And he's like, I got this. It's
2: certainly not always been that way, right? I mean, there's there's been a little bit of a learning curve to get to the point where it's like, okay, I know I'm good enough to be doing this, but uh, I think a lot of that, too, in my early career, especially like getting right into professional sports car racing, I was working for the Bob Bonder on school at the time. So every single day, I was behind the wheel of a brand new Corvette ripping it around the racetrack with some of my best friends. So I think uh, having that experience and being able to just drive a high performance car literally every single day to the limit um, and making plenty of mistakes throughout the way, I'm sure I don't want to admit any of them right now, but um, (laughs) doing a few stupid things here and there and kind of understanding, all right, that was a little bit too far one way. um, It really forces you to mature, I guess you could say, behind the wheel and really um, just learn the craft in a quick manner.
1: I've been on plenty of tracks, and you know, you, you take your first couple laps and you figure out all the turns and stuff. You know, obviously, you can look at the map and try to memorize it and whatnot if it's an unfamiliar track. Um, but you've got your break points, you know, the corner, what's coming up next, where you're setting it up, blah, blah, blah. But when you've got something as big as like Pikes Peak, where it's super long, or you've got like Nurburgring or whatever, where it's, so, I don't know how you can memorize the whole track. So how do you go into something like that where you're trying to maximize every corner, but you're not exactly, or, or are you sure of what is that corner and what speed could I hit it? And just like you're saying, I mean, you go too far into some corner and you're you're off the other end no matter how good you are. So how do you tailor that?
2: Um, to answer your question of can you memorize all 156 corners, absolutely. And really, if you're going to be out there competing for a win or even just trying to set a record of any type, um, you really do need to know every single one of them. So it's, um, in my mind, it wasn't uh, an immediate like, okay, I know this. It was a lot of time and dedication on a simulator to to learn that track. So that was that was kind of my method. I would take uh, my simulator that I've got at home, it's the full virtual reality setup, and I would break the track into segments. So I'd run like the first, I, I basically would do the three segments that we run during actual race week. So the first segment is your qualifying section. So it goes from the start line all the way to Glen Cove, which is that shack in the middle where they check your brake temps during regular hours of the road. Um, so that segment's about, I think, three minutes long, but it's, it's a good distance. It's almost halfway up the road, actually. Um, and then the middle segment is from that Glen Cove up to Devil's Playground, which is a pretty simple segment. In reality, it's just all the W's, so all those really tight hairpins back and forth, back and forth. Um, But a lot of guys get lost there because especially on Pike's Peak, there's so many corners that look almost identical coming into them and exiting them. One of them may lead into a second gear really tight corner, whereas one that looks almost identical is going to lead into a fifth gear flat out 120 mile an hour corner. So um, really learning those key places on the road where you need to know what's going on. um, That was really where I placed my priority is learning all those. I call them twin corners. Um, and then just hours and hours on the simulator. And then it would get to the point where I would test myself. So I'd pull up a random YouTube video from somebody racing the road in the past, drag that little bar in the bottom to a random spot on the road, hit pause, and then have to write down the next three corners or I'll have my dad sitting there. I'd be like, all right, here's what's coming up just to make sure in my mind that I knew what was going on.
1: That's legit training right there, man. Wow.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's a serious race, yeah. man. You gotta, you gotta be prepared for Pike's peak. It's uh, it'll bite you in a hurry.
0: You know, it's funny when, when I was racing that Central City Hill Climb, something similar. Uh, you know, a few years ago, the weekend before the race, I spent the whole week. Every day, I would go up there and just run that road. Yeah, so you're right. I just I ran the road. I saw one other racer. I was I was a rabbit, so people got to chase me. Right, you had rabbits, and you would get a group of seven, ten people behind you. They would chase you. You know, and and it's, it it really is knowing the course. Uh and it's been a day in and day out, you know, for seven, eight, nine days. I was up there just burning burning gas, man. Learning it. Because if you don't, it, there's no way you could be competitive on it, especially nowadays with all the tools you have to train, and especially how fast some of these guys are going. And it, you gotta look at y- your experience, like you've been in some really fast machines. Was was this Pikes Peak race? Was this one of the one of the more aggressive races? that you have ever sort of put yourself in? Was that, was that the big challenge? Was it something that, that you just want to knock off your bucket list? Like, how is that race for a guy like you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those iconic races in America. I mean, it's the second oldest race in the country behind the Indy 500. Um, so it's, it's always been one of those things where there's a mystique to it, right? It's like, holy crap, that's Pike's Peak. All the famous racers from the history of racing, all dating back to 1916, have competed in this event. Um, And especially growing up in Colorado Springs, like I I look at Pikes Peak every single morning when I wake up. So um, that really adds a special place in my heart and head to be like, yeah, I need to, I need to compete in this race one day. Um, And it was always kind of one of those things where it was like, yeah, it's, it's all dirt or it's part dirt. So it wasn't, wasn't really my wheelhouse necessarily, especially at a younger age. Um, And then as soon as the whole thing was paved and I started getting some opportunities and offers to, to go compete in the race, um, it definitely, it's a, it's a difficult mindset to get into to just kind of accept the fact that you're you're racing up Pike's Peak and there's a legitimate chance that if you make a mistake, you could die. So it's uh
0: yes, for, for for people that don't understand, honest to God, Pike's Peak. How many miles up is it? How many turns? What's the elevation drop? Because that does play a big role into it. Uh, and there's understand people, there's no guardrail, it is a rock sheer. Face on one side where they cut the you know cut it out of and you know you got you got areas where you got turns and nothing but rock gardens and cliffs for thousands of feet on the other side
1: There's like inches off the side of the road like yeah. inches off the side of the road yeah no you know you drop uh, a tire and pfft, you're off the side of the mountain
2: yeah there's there's certainly no room for error up there i mean and there's so many variables that make it an incredibly <laughs> dangerous race so it's a 12.42 mile race and there's 156 different corners as you work your way up so Um, That in itself, just trying to memorize all that, like we've been talking about is incredibly challenging. Um, But another one of the crazy things is that a lot of people don't think about um, is that you start the race at, um, I think, 9,700 feet elevation or something, and you finish over 14,000 feet. So fortunately, once again, growing up here in Colorado, I've got a pretty high high blood oxygen content. Um, Whereas a lot of guys that come in from like even California or states with lower elevation, they're struggling with altitude sickness as soon as they get to the start line, let alone the finish line. Um, So we all run oxygen pumped into our helmets just because it kind of takes away one of those inevitables or one of those variables of like, hey, it's an excuse of why you made a mistake. Um, And it just keeps you sharp. You really have to. So that's one of the big challenges up there. Um, The other thing is just the changing road conditions. I mean, this is a public highway during the day, except for that one day of the year where they open it up for us to race on. I mean, even on practice week and qualifying day and things like that, we're up on the mountain at 4 a.m. because as soon as eight o'clock hits, they're sending traffic uphill. Um, so it's it's an incredibly unique race, but it's not maintained as a proper racetrack would be. So there's no sweeping crew keeping gravel off the road. There's nobody doing really checks if there's fluid or anything like that before your first run. They'll send a safety a safety truck up and he'll kind of just do a quick sight and make sure there's no big debris on the road. Um, but aside from that, it's pretty much here's what it is. Have at it. Good luck. Um, and we're doing our first runs at four or five in the morning, as soon as there's a first sign of light. And you're, I mean, last year, for example, I was doing almost 160 miles an hour on like five or six different spots. Um, and it's uh, it's just mind blowing, man. It's it's a crazy race, and it's it's the biggest adrenaline rush I've ever had or probably ever will have. And it's uh, it's just incredibly fun, man. It's insane.
0: All right, well look, we got a lot more questions and we wanna sort of lean into your knowledge and experience to help people become better drivers. So think about different race setups. Think about what you are looking at in a car. What's the first things you're looking at adjusting? What's the first things when you hit a track you're looking at for your ride? So think about that. We'll take a quick break. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We have Tommy Boy Low with us, one of the baddest drivers ever. Make sure you check him out. More with him in just a minute on the Two Guys Garage Podcast. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast presented by CarParts.com. We have Tommy Boyleau on with us. i am tell you, man, this guy's raced everything, anything. He's like, me and Kevin, when we get side-by-side in rental cars, like, we're racing. There's no doubt. I don't care what it is. We're racing. Tommy does that with anything and everybody, point blank. If you're at a grocery store with him, he's going to race. You. Dude, he could beat us in a shopping cart. We'd be
1: in our rental cars. He'd beat us in a shopping cart, <laughs> you know?
0: Absolutely. So, Tommy... When you're, when you're going to a race, think about, you know, let's just drop it down a level or two. And most weekend warriors, because that's kind of what I am. When a weekend warrior shows up at a racetrack, what's the first three to four things he ought to keep in mind on his car? When he pulls it out of the trailer, things to double check, things to go over. What's he looking at uh, on a track he's familiar with? Right. So
2: especially if it's a track you're familiar with and you already know the layout, you kind of know all your references and things like that. Um, obviously number one, make sure your car is ready to head out on the track. Um, especially for enthusiasts, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody rip out onto the track, forget to torque their wheels and a wheel goes flying off or something like that. Um, or I remember there was one guy that we were actually racing with and he left a full five gallon jug of gasoline in his trunk ripping around the racetrack. Um, so I think that's, that's the first thing, right? Just make sure you pull all your crap out of the car. Don't leave gasoline bouncing around with your loose battery in the trunk. And make sure that you torque your tires, set your pressures, get everything ready from a safety standpoint. That way, there's nothing weighing your mind down. You can actually focus on the task at hand. Um, But really, as far as like setup stuff goes, um, most enthusiasts aren't going to have the crazy options that we do as professionals. I mean, you look at a full blown professional race team, you can tweak everything on that car. And by twisting one or two little knobs, you can make that thing magic or complete garbage. So, Um, I mean, if you're looking at the most simplistic things that can really make a huge difference, um, one of those is going to be your tire pressures, right? I mean, you can really improve or hurt your lap time with a big difference of five PSI. So in reality, it's really not that big of a swing, um, but it can really make a big difference. So each track is going to be different. It's going to be different depending on what the track temp is and um, humidity, things like that. But generally, you're going to run a lot lower pressure on your tires for ripping around the racetrack than you would driving back home. Um, So that's where you see a lot of guys will bring multiple sets of wheels and tires and kind of have a dedicated set. Um, It's always my favorite when you get the guy that's got like his blizz axe out there, like studded snow tires. He's like, dude, I've got no grip. (laughs) Um, But I think that's one of the first things to look at is going to be your tires. And then the next thing that's pretty simple that you can start looking at to really change the characteristics of the car throughout the middle of a corner is going to be your sway bars, your anti-roll bars. That's one of those things that uh, it can make a big difference. And uh, it's actually fairly simple to do. So if you've got multiple adjustments in either your front or rear bar, that's definitely one of those things that, um, depending on the scenario, you can tighten it. So stiffen up that front bar, it's gonna give you a little bit more bite um, in the rear end actually. So um, really looking at your sway bars, you can affect one end or the other, but it's kind of opposite. So you're affecting your rear grip level with your front bar and your front grip level with your rear bar. I'm um, really more so than the other way around, which is kind of counterintuitive to what a, what a lot of uh, novices think. Um, but so
0: say that again, we say that one more time so people get it. You're affecting, so
2: you're affecting the front grip level with your rear bar more so than the rear grip, and you're affecting your um, what did I say what did I just say other way vice versa. So front <laughs> bar affects the rear, rear bar affects the front uh, more so than front and front, rear rear. Um, so that's one of those things that a lot of guys will just be struggling all day with a front grip issue and they'll just keep tweaking that front bar where in reality, the issue probably lies in the rear end. Nice. Um, so that's, that's one of those first things I would look at. So you got your tire pressures your sway bars. And then if you do start getting into adjustable dampers, I mean, that's, that's really where the magic's at. I mean, if you can have a, even just a one-way adjustable damper, that that can help you a ton. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh in terms of one of the biggest adjustments that um, all pretty much all professional race teams all around the world are going to be be tweaking is the the high speed and low speed compression and rebound within the damper itself or the shock, I guess a lot of guys call it. So um, that's one of those things that that's really where the the magic is. That's when you get to a track with your baseline set up and um, you kind of know where the balance is going to be and every time you show up to the track it could be a little bit different so just by turning knobs here and there making little small adjustments i mean you can you can hurt or, or help your lap time within probably five or six seconds it's pretty drastic how amazing wow. shocks are um, so that's one of those huge things that uh, everybody's going to be working with on the professional level and um, it can really give you a really big advantage on the amateur level if number one you've got the budget to do it um, that's usually the biggest factor yeah. there is people can't afford to spend 20 grand on shocks Um, but even if you get a nice pair of shocks that aren't all that expensive and they've got some adjustment, um, that in itself, and then obviously having the knowledge on what to do to adjust those shocks to benefit you, um, it's a huge, huge thing. So that's where, um, especially in my early career, um, I dedicated a lot of time to learning how to make the car work for me because everybody's driving style is a little bit different. I can run lap times almost identical to one of my best friends, Rob Stout, and his driving style is just completely different than mine.
1: Well, I know there's a huge science in setting up your dampers, your shocks, but if you could boil it down, especially if someone's got maybe just a two-way adjustment or even a single adjustment, you know, compression, rebound, um, how would you give them just some tips on just where to start? I mean, do you do it just by feel? Like, oh, I like that corner a little bit better, so I like that adjustment. Are you doing it by time uh, or time into different corners? Uh, And then, you know, where do you start? Do you start with your compression side only to start with the rebound? Uh, And then maybe which type of corners is it helping you or hurting you?
2: Yeah. And it's, uh, so it's one of those things where um, generally speaking, I start out, especially on like a track that maybe I'm new at or that I don't really have a good setup for yet. I'll start out with pretty much all my adjustments set right in the middle. Um, That way I can go either direction. If you start out one way and it's completely garbage and you don't have adjustment to kind of fix it, then you're kind of in a pickle there. So I start out with everything in the middle as far as compression and rebound. Um, and generally I tell guys to worry more about compression adjustment, or they call it bump a lot of time rather than the rebound itself, just because it's easier for a lot of guys to understand. It's pretty simple. You load that shock up and how quickly it compresses is, is what you're really affecting. Um, so that's one of those things where um a lot of guys tend to overdo it. So if I get into a corner and the car starts maybe having a, a little bit of oversteer. So I turn in the corner, the back end starting to slide out on me. I actually want to slow down that compression in the rear end. Maybe it's loading too fast and it doesn't have time to really load that tire. It's kind of using that tire as an additional shock absorber, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, so that a lot of that can be affected with your inputs as well. But let's just say all your driver inputs are accurate. You want to actually slow down that compression so it gives the tire more time to load itself and it doesn't just start snapping loose on you. So I'd slow down the compression. Um, And then another one of those big things is gonna be like um, for your front end, um, let's say you've got a push, you wanna do the same thing. You wanna give the tires more time to load. So you're gonna slow down that compression. Now on the other end of the spectrum, if it's just not wanting to work with you, the car's just kind of feeling lazy, you want it to be more responsive. That's when I would actually start stiffing up some of those compression adjustments just to give the car a little bit more initial bite um, and maybe less time to load that tire.
1: No, oh, that's great stuff, man. Now, what about on the yeah. rebound side? Cause that's where the compression, I, I see it in my head and i played around a little bit with it, totally makes sense. But the rebound, I'm not sure what what's happening there. Cause when your tire is being pushed back down to the track, right?
2: Yeah, so the fr- or the rear rebound, I mean, it's really one of those things where especially as you're aggressively getting onto the brake pedal, if you've got your re- rear rebound set too quick, it's really gonna try to like buck the rear end off the ground and really plant that front end of the ground really aggressively. Um, so it can really help or hurt you if you're in like a front-wheel drive car where you want the thing to rotate for you on entry You can really speed up that rear rebound and plant the nose That way you've got a lot of front bite initially and not a ton of rear grip. So it's gonna want to rotate um, But if you're in like a rear-wheel drive car or especially something without a lot of horsepower like a spec Miata or something if you've got that rear rebound set too quick the car is just going to kind of feel like it's on edge all the time. It's going to be really dancy and um, just kind of feel nervous. So you want to slow down that rebound just to let the front end plant a little bit slower and let that rear end decompress a little bit slower just to give you the maximum amount of grip as you transition from your braking zone into the corner.
0: Man, you know what you need to do, Tommy? You need to make a book called Suspension for Dummies, right? <laughs> and, just, and just like, you know, a bunch of quick tips that, yeah. you know, most people either forget about or they learn for a minute. And then when it's time to go hit the track, you forget or you can't recall it. Or what was he saying about A, B, and C? Because I'm telling you, there's a market out there for that. We all want to drive like you, bro. We all want to, you know, (laughs) brag and boast and be badass behind the wheel like you are. Uh, It's just, you know, we don't have the means to practice. And and when we do, knowing some of these things would be great. Uh, Let me ask this before we run out of time. Where do you think you'll be, you know, between race Pikes Peak and, you know, all these, you know, people and teams asking you to race? Where do you think you're going to be in three to five years? Where do you see, Tommy, in three to five years?
2: Oh, man, obviously, I mean, I've, I've got big dreams, right? It's like the, the inner kid in me is still wanting to be that Formula One driver, but I know that ship has sailed. Um, but I've got some pretty cool stuff in the works right now. Um, so, for Pikes Peak 2021, I'm racing the same Camaro for Dassault Designs that I ran last year. Here we had the data to show that we were going to be under the record for the class and probably the third or fourth fastest car ever until we had a mechanical failure. So, we're racing that car again this year. They're doing a bunch of sorcery right now with some uh, um, some secret stuff. I'm not even going to say what it is yet. Um, we're working with some aero companies to get a lot more aero underneath the car, and it's just going to be Um, even faster, which is gonna be incredible. So, um, Pike's Peak's gonna be a big one this year. Hopefully you can go out there and win the overall set of record in class um, and hold that king of the mountain title, bring it, well, I guess it is back in America now, but keep it here in America. Um, So that's one of the big things. And I'm also working with a team right now that has a NASCAR truck program in the Gander Outdoor Series. And uh, it sounds like I'm gonna be making my NASCAR debut later this year at Circuit of the Americas. Nice! Ripping around and uh, ripping around in a NASCAR truck on a Formula One track—it uh, doesn't get much better than that. So no. that's the plan, and hopefully, three to five years from now, maybe Penske signs me for a cup ride or something. You never know.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. All right. Whew. Well, don't forget us little guys in that Two Guys Garage podcast, man. We're glad you were a part of it. Where do people find out more about you socially? How do people follow you? How do people get more of Tommy Boileau? Um, So my last name's hard to spell, but unfortunately
2: from a young age, I've always used it for all my social media handles. Uh, but my Instagram is just Tommy Boyleau. And then my Facebook is Tommy Boyleau official fan page. Those are really the two that i use the most just to keep people in tune with what i'm doing it's just the quickest and easiest i working on a website right now i've got a new social media project that i'm working on with some guys that's going to be a lot of fun it's hopefully going to be a competitor to some of those bigger sites and we'll be able to tackle them um so keep your eye out for that but those are my two big ones and it's just tommy boileau b-o-i-l-e-a-u there you go there man go.
0: dude i can't wait to cheer you on i can't wait to see you doing a nascar thing i can't wait to be like yo that's my dog right there i knew him when he was just a kid wait you still are a kid well that dude used to drive outdrive me when when i was younger <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for it, man it's gonna be it's gonna be an absolute blast and it's uh We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully I can go out there and have a good showing, and uh, you never know what can happen. NASCAR is a crazy world, and uh, I think they need a big, tall, blonde dude out there ripping around with all those uh, good old boys from the south. Yeah,
0: man. <laughs> Indeed they do. Indeed they do. Well, look, man, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for teaching us a little bit about, about driving. Like, if you paid attention, everybody learned something today. I don't care where you're at in the game. You learned something. You picked up a, a tip. I and used I, uh, up half
1: my crayon taking notes.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> well, I was eating
1: some of it, so you exactly.
0: Look, <laughs> well, man. Hey, we thanks. Uh, we thank you for coming on and spending the time with us. Don't forget about our show air weekends on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Uh, you can also find us on Motor Trend On Demand, which is a great resource. Uh, and don't forget about our guest, Tommy Boyleau. His last name B O I L E A U. That's where you'll find all of his social stuff. For Kevin Bird, I am Willie B, our producer. Scoop and our executive producer, Mr. Bob Eckert.
1: Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com, and share your thoughts with us. We're on Facebook, too. Instagram and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Now, the Two Guys Garage podcast is a copyright 2021. Britain Productions Incorporated. All rights reserved.
0: Yeah, man. So, did you learn anything? What are you going to go apply next, Kevin? If you're going to learn, take one thing from Tommy, what's it going to be?
1: Definitely the shock tuning, man. Definitely the shock tuning. That That's some good stuff. It's a little bit sank in. Let's see if it sticks. Yeah. Right? I got to... Like, tape it in there, you
0: know, keep it from oozing out as I'm sleeping.
1: But, uh, yeah, man, some good hey, skinny. It's,
0: it sounds like me trying to convince my wife um, uh, uh, of anything when he says, No, if you want to change the grip on the front, you got to adjust the back, uh, <laughs> like that. Because, I'll tell you, man, it's just how it is. Yep. All right, well, look, we'll catch up with you guys on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Y'all take care, man.
1: Take care, guys. We'll see you next time. Two Guys Garage podcast is produced by Britton Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.